0: for our scripture reading which comes this morning from the gospel of matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35 then peter said to jesus lord how many times should i forgive my brother or sister who sins against me should i forgive as many as seven times jesus said not just seven times but rather as many as 77 times therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants When he began to settle accounts, they brought to him a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Because the servant didn't have enough to pay it back, the master ordered that he should be sold along with his wife and children and everything he had, and that the proceeds should be used as payment. But the servant fell down, kneeled before him, and said, Please be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. The master had compassion on that servant, released him, and forgave the loan. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 coins. He grabbed him around the throat and said, pay me back what you owe me. Then his fellow servant fell down and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he threw him into prison until he paid back his debt. When his fellow servants saw what happened, they were deeply offended. They came and told their master all that had happened His master called the first servant and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you appealed to me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? His master was furious and handed him over to the guard responsible for punishing prisoners until he had paid the whole debt. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all this morning. I want to thank you last week for the warm welcome of Reverend Ernie Vineyard, our district superintendent, who came and preached. I'm always grateful when he can come and fill in and help to lead the worship here at First UMC. I know when I record the message, it's good, but it's better to have someone in person, right? Um <laughs> So uh, last week, just to share with you all, um, Addison had basketball on Saturday morning, and then we headed to Almagordo. Mindy's grandmother uh, lives in Almagordo, and last Sunday, or no, Saturday, Sunday, 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 Sunday. Um, there's a lot of birthdays in Mindy's side of the family in February. Um, it was Sunday. She celebrated her 90th birthday, and so uh, Mindy's grandmother is Mindy and my last grandparent living. And so it's always a blessing to be able to, to do that and to be there for that. Um, I'm also reminded how special it is for our daughters, Katie and Addison, to be able to have known and, and have a real relationship with the majority of their great-grandparents. Um, that's just a blessing, you know, that I don't think you realize. So um, we were just glad to be a part of that. So uh, this morning we're going to be kind of wrapping up this short sermon series as we're looking in the Gospel of Matthew and looking at one of the parables from Matthew. I'll be honest, I'm going to need to revisit this sermon series. I think, you know, if you go and and take some time and read in any of the Gospels, there are a number of parables that teach us so much and speak to us so much in such a deep way about the kingdom of God and about the way that God, through Jesus Christ, has chosen to work in this world and through our lives. And so... um, you know, there's just there's just so much more than we can see than just looking at, at three weeks of parables in Matthew. And so uh, today we're going to be looking and, and thinking about the idea of forgiveness and what Jesus is saying when he's talking to Peter and the disciples there. And so I want to begin this morning by by taking a moment for us to think about where this scripture, where this parable, this story falls in the Gospel of Matthew. Here's just... Uh, a kind of brief overview I found online that, that kind of breaks down how Matthew is broken apart, up in, in four different ways. And so in Matthew's gospel, the beginning is the genealogy and the birth of Jesus. And so that's just the first four chapters of Matthew. And then the second part is the largest block, which is chapters roughly 3 through 20, 4 through 20. Uh, and it describes the majority of Jesus' ministry and his teaching and the majority of this portion in Matthew's gospel, as compared to, to some of the other gospels, is Matthew centers Jesus' ministry and the majority of his gospel in the region around the Sea of Galilee, in the city of Capernaum, in the city of Nazareth, and in other communities in the northern part of, the, of Israel. The third part is when, is when Matthew transitions Jesus heading to Jerusalem. In chapters 21 through 28, where Jesus teaches, where he confronts the authorities, where he uh, goes into the temple, where he is crucified and everything else that we read about. And then finally in Matthew 28 is kind of the celebration, the resurrection, and then the Great Commission when Jesus commissions the disciples and those that follow him to go out into the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, to all the reaches of the earth. And so our parable this morning comes from that big second block in chapter 18. And it's kind of towards the end of Jesus having spent time teaching in this region around the Sea of Galilee. And this parable is actually a response to a question that is posed to Jesus by the disciples when they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Friends, I don't know about you, but I can ask every one of us, who's the greatest football player? And every one of you in here would have a different answer, right? As long as it's not a cowboy, we're all right. But... Um, I can ask you another question. I might say, "Who is the best composer if music is your thing?" And my guess is there are many of us in here. Some of us would say, "Oh, it's so and so," and agree on that. And what about you know, artist? Who's the greatest artist? Who's the greatest author? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so after Jesus answers this question, he tells a parable of the lost sheep and then ends with an instruction of how followers of his are to correct those who sin. When he talks about how for those who change their life and end their sin, they are to continue being in relationship with the community of faith. And then he says for those that choose to continue sinning, they are to be separated. And then Peter asks the question that gets this morning's parable going. When he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive as many as seven times? I think it's helpful for us to pause before we look at Jesus' response in this question. And for us to understand why Peter chose seven times seven. I think we know, uh, if you look in the scriptures, seven is often an important number. There's seven days in the creation. On the seventh day, God rested when he created. I mean, seven mean, seven deadly sins. There are seven is a number we see through the scriptures. But for us to understand why Peter is doing it, there's an Old Testament teaching where the rabbis taught that forgiveness was to be offered three times to someone for something. But if someone did that same transgression a fourth time, they were to not be forgiven for that. So if someone wronged you in some way, three different ways, you were to forgive them three times. And then if they continued to do it, that fourth time, you weren't required to forgive them. See, and here's where I love Peter, because Peter's us, right? He's looking for his edge, and so he's saying, well, I know the Old Testament says I'm supposed to forgive someone three times, and then the fourth time I'm supposed to wash my hands of them. So what I'm going to tell Jesus when he's asking me, well, what do you think? How many times are you supposed to forgive someone? I'm going to double that number, because that's always a safe bet, isn't it? We've all done that, haven't we? And so Peter's like, well, I'll just double it, I'll do six, I'll add one, and then we're good to go. I mean, that's, that's generous according to the Old Testament teaching, isn't it? It's generous if you look at what the rabbis were teaching in those times of, of Peter's basically saying, we'll just double it, we'll forgive twice as much. And Jesus' answer to him likely surprised everyone, including us. As he said, forgive as many as 77 times or depending on your biblical translation, there's there's kind of a difference here. Some Bible translations say 70 times 7 times, so 490 like we talked about in our children's time this morning. Other biblical translations say 77 times. Does it really matter whether it's 490 or 77 times? Not really if we're looking at the parable and how Jesus is teaching it, right? He says, forgive as many times as 70 times 7 or 77 times. And then he told the following parable that we've already heard in our scripture. A servant owes 10,000 talents or bags of gold, in my, biblical, my translation of the Bible, to the king of a region who's brought in to settle his account. Boy, in Jesus' time, 10,000 talents is an unpayable sum. For those who worked at a daily wage, it would be impossible for them to ever pay this money back, even if they devoted every penny that they earned for the rest of their life to pay their debt. To get an idea of how much 10,000 talents was, I found a really kind of interesting thing. Biblical historian Josephus, so Flavius Josephus, who, who wrote... Um, the antiquities of the Jews in a lot of history, uh, right in 35 to like 100 A.D., so after the death of Jesus, after um, the death of Herod the Great, but, but during the time of the Romans in Israel, he wrote that when Herod the Great died, the taxes collected in the region that it was now ruled by his sons was 900 talents. And so his sons ruled... You know, the area up north around the Sea of Galilee, they reeled all the way down Judah, and then south of the Dead Sea in Idumea. And so he listed, you know, where where one region collected 200 talents, one region collected 100 talents, one region collected 600 talents. 900 talents in biblical times was about $220 million today. So think about, if this man's standing here and he owes 10,000 talents, the amount of money that he is supposed to owe back to the king is is unpayable. And so as the king prepares to have this man thrown into slavery and to have his wife and children thrown into slavery, the man begs the king, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Now here's where Jesus is, is, the master forgave the servant, had compassion, released him and forgave the loan. I mean, it's just boom, boom, boom. And then this same man goes and finds another servant who owed him 100 coins. So I read this week that the equivalent of that today would be about $4,000. So that's like a payable debt, isn't it? It was a debt that could be repaid. It was a debt that this man could be expected to pay. But when he said he could not pay it, the one that he owed money to had him thrown into debtor's prison until he worked off the debt. On its own, this story makes sense, but here's where we forget that people see what happens, right? And so, when the other servants saw what happened, they went to the king because they were offended. They told him what happened, and he called the first servant back and and said, you know, the king was very upset. He said, "I forgave the debt. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Just have mercy on just as I had mercy over you." And he threw him um in jail well so this parable speaks to so many things in our lives and jesus ends it by saying and speaking of forgiveness doesn't he when he says my heavenly father will also do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart because he's talking about forgiveness and how we treat others and how we expect them to act compared to our own actions See, the first servant, if you look at his example, was he not unwilling to view himself in the same light that he was viewing the person that owed him money? Was he not willing to look at this other person in the same way that the king looked at him? He was unable to and unwilling to apply the same standards to himself that he expected from others. I don't know about you, but isn't this common? common for all of us, where we are so willing to look at someone with a critical eye while overlooking the same issues in ourselves. Here's a couple of examples, and I'm going to let you think of your own. It's easy for us to look at someone else's performance, whether it's at their job or somewhere else, and point out the error of their ways while conveniently overlooking or ignoring our own, right? Maybe we sit down to eat with someone. We see what they're eating and we think to ourselves, man, that's so unhealthy, while not looking at what we just ordered or have on our plate. No one's done that, right? Maybe we think our speech is direct or frank and courteous towards others while they hear our speech as blunt, condescending, and disrespectful. I think we can look larger scale, you know, where we're unwilling to look or or people are unwilling to to look and see how they act compared to what they're telling others. I mean, we look at politicians and those in leadership who are unwilling or unable to apply their own conduct to follow the laws and taxes that they apply to the rest of us. Whether it's mask wearing, whether it's using information that they have that they shouldn't use to buy or sell stock basically there's lots of things right that we can look and we can see and I can spend the rest of the morning listing examples although thankfully I don't have any more on my list so I'm not going any far but um but I think it's really easy it's it's easy for us to look and see and think how easy it is for people to expect one thing of others and not expect that same thing of themselves and so that's what Jesus is talking about because I think we can all agree that if we did for others what we expect them to do for us, wouldn't the world be a better place? And isn't this the same with forgiveness? Isn't this the same with mercy? Isn't this the same with grace? If we offer forgiveness in the, way that, the, the same way that we expect others to forgive us, man, things would be so much better, wouldn't they? See, this parable of Jesus is not a go-and-do parable. Like there are lots of parables that if you go and read, how does it always end? It always ends with Jesus saying, go and do likewise. So basically he's telling those that are listening to him, go and do what I've just instructed you or shown you or told you. This parable is, is him telling us of how God expects us to live as full participants in his kingdom. This parable is a summary of, of Jesus' larger theme in Matthew's gospel of how we're to live and how we're to forgive and of how we're to be a part of God's kingdom. Matthew 5:17 says, "Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy." In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, what does Jesus say? He says He tells us to pray to forgive our debts." as we forgive our debtors, or to forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Is it not a heart or, or part of the heart of Jesus' gospel, gospel in Matthew is to be a part of God's kingdom and to be a person who forgives? Basically what he's saying is that our outflow of mercy and forgiveness must coincide and must reflect the inflow of mercy and of forgiveness that God pours into us. And so our prayer, as we read this parable, and as we think about what Jesus has taught, is that God will will place in us a forgiveness that is in proportion to or beyond our, our ability to forgive others. We must forgive as we ourselves hope and pray that others will forgive us. Where Jesus takes it further is just by throwing out that huge number. It's to get Peter to step back, to get the disciples to step back, to get those that are listening to step back and go, wait a minute, what? We're to forgive that many times and in that many ways? Because what he's really saying is to forgive and to offer mercy and grace in a way that is beyond what even you can measure. That we can only forgive and truly forgive once we we recognize and accept the depth of forgiveness that we have already received from God. See, to be one with Jesus is to be one who forgives. We cannot claim to be with him if we are opposite of him and if we are opposite of his heart when it comes to forgiving. Because read the Gospels. God's whole attitude toward us is a for forgiving love, isn't it? And as he forgives, he invites us to be in real fellowship and relationship with him. And he invites us to live according to his grace as we pour out those things that we have received into the lives of others. Not because it's ours to keep but because it's ours to give as he has given it to us. Amen.